Hello, and welcome to the first in a brand new series of The Blend Sessions. My name is Theo van den Bruecke, and I'm your host for a series of conversations on culture, recorded with Chivas Regal blended Scotch whiskey at their bar in East London. Each week, we bring together two creative minds to talk about how collaboration and the blending of different skills have shaped their work and been the key to their success. The discussions cover art, photography, food, fashion and literature, and are an inspiring, informative look at how the creative process works in these worlds. Our first episode brings together two of the most influential men in the world right now, New Yorker Tremaine Emery and his London counterpart A-Side, who started their careers working respectively for Marc Jacobs and Nike before going solo and combining as a new creative force. Moving between fashion, art and music, their No Vacancy Inn project pops up all over the world and blends together people from different disciplines, skills and mindsets to share their thoughts, ideas and experiences. And they join me to talk about what inspires them and how they work together. So sit back and enjoy Tremaine Emery and A-Side recorded live in conversation with Shivas Regal Scotch Whiskey in episode one of The Blend Sessions. Guys, I realise, having done a lot of research into you guys over the last week, it is very difficult to pinpoint and pigeonhole what it is you do. You kind of span all these creative areas. And I'm kind of intrigued to know, in your own words, how each of you would describe yourselves and what you do, probably in... No more than 10 words each. <laughs> Man, what do I do? I just, I just do what my parents raised me to do. Um, my parents raised me to just be myself. Uh, over 10, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's what I do. My parents raised me to just be myself and do what makes me happy. So I got my mom and my dad's voices in my head forever telling me to just do what makes me happy. So that's my whole thing. And what is it that makes you happy? Spending time with people I love, music. I'm into style. Just art in general, so that's my whole thing. Brilliant. Nothing else than food and alcohol. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and cigars. That's it. I'm a simple man. Keep going. Yeah, no, don't elaborate. No, we, we won't. Got, we <laughs> we'll stop it there. <laughs> You're so humble, Tremaine. Okay, so what Tremaine does is that he's actually one of the most amazing, naturally social people I've ever met in my life. Because some people are just extroverts, which is annoying. Because they're always like, hello! And you're like, oh man, not you again. But Jermaine is actually really, really fun to be around and really interesting because he knows a lot about a lot of stuff, especially stuff I'm into, which is culture and music and art and fashion. Yeah. So because of that, you know, I found someone to bounce off because I like DJing and playing music and making music, being around it. I don't necessarily like talking about it lots mm. or having to sort of vocalise what I do or explain it. Whereas he's actually a good barrier between those two things. And also, he's just got like a huge brain, as you can tell by the size of his head. So, <laughs> <laughs> so really, whenever I come up with a really, really like crazy idea, I'm like, who can I share that with? Oh, Tremaine. Like, okay, cool. Okay. And that's what Tremaine does. He's like a social host. You know, you can put that job into so many places in the world and it would fit, whether that's a nightclub or whether that's a clothing brand or whether that's working for an art gallery. You know, someone needs to be really good at that. So with that in mind, where did you guys meet? How did this relationship come about? It's really weird, man. I moved to London February 11th, 2010. I met all these people. And I'm, there was this, like, ghost that went through all these people's mouths, A-side. And every time I met someone, they'd be like, you, gotta, you and A-side would get along. My friend George Bascom, one of my best friends, who I knew from New York because he used to come into, like, Mark Jacobs, where I used to work in the West Village with his ex-girl, we'd have all these like lofty talks. When I moved to London, he's like, you, gotta, you need to meet A-Side. 
El Azari was like, I met her like in August, like months before I met him. You, you need to meet Asad. All these people are like, you need to meet Asad. So then um, my friend Heron Preston emailed me and was like, yo, there's this Nike party in 1948, mm-hmm. place that he created when he was doing the energy marketing job. I went to the party and, you know, me and Asad are in the same age bracket. And he had like, I didn't know he was this Asad, this like, ethereal figure that I've been hearing about for six months, my first six months in London. I didn't know it was him. He was just like a little dude with like cigars. And no one else in my age bracket or peer group smoked cigars. So he had some cigars and that's how I just start, we start talking and we smoking cigars and we became friends. I thought. That's, no, that's that, a, that no, there's nothing to that. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Lock off. <laughs> So the kind of germination, or I guess the product of the relationship, is No Vacancy Inn, which, as far as I can gather, is your nomadic, kind of creative, curated party hangout that kind of goes wherever you feel it should go, and you invite whoever you feel you should invite, and collaborate with whoever you feel you should collaborate on with it. Um, So I guess, what was it that created the idea for that, on the need for it? Where did that come from? Um, I'm thinking to make it simple, if you sort of look back on kind of culture and history, so like last, say, four decades, right, all the things that we remember clearly, remember individuals who were really great in the fields of like science or sport or, you know, music, but we also remember teams of people, right? So whether that's in sports, like basketball teams, like Chicago Bulls, but I'm a music guy. So all the things I really remember, they come from like crews of people. So when you think of like the Hacienda, that was Tony Wilson of Factory Records. When you think of what was going on in New York with disco music. That was Studio 54 and all the record labels that came out, that South Soul and all those things. When you think about soul music, you think of Motown. You know, you think of the Blue Note record label. When you think of hip hop, you think of Def Jam. All of these things were significant because of individuals, but they also had a brand and a sort of overall team aesthetic to it. So doing things individually, like making music or DJing or throwing parties, it's fun. Doing things with your best friend is even more fun, especially if you don't sort of argue about anything. But it got to a point where I think we hit saturation, especially doing things in London. Mm. And I just had this sort of notion that all the things that we like doing individually, if we put them together, it would really confuse people unless we had a name for it. Mm. So I just called Tremaine one day and was like, we need to come up with something. And you know, originally in my head, the concept was actually a store. It's actually a physical space. And then we sort of spoke on it and we went back and forth and he said, look, that's cool, but you know, and I was like, I know we're not gonna get there tomorrow because that costs a lot of money. Yeah. Maybe we should start with a hotel. Because in the hotel room, you know, if every fashion we went into a hotel and we kind of took it over and we put, you know, all the clothes we liked in there, all the records we liked in there, and all the people we liked in there, it sort of be fun, right? And that literally was a germ of the idea that sort of turned into no vacancy in. Actually, I think the main thing for no vacancy in starting was trust. I trust Asa with my life. You know, if I had a kid, I trust him with my kid. If I had a million dollars, <laughs> if I had a million dollars cash, you know, and I had to go like I don't know, do a bid, I trust him with it. So Asa, so if Asa calls you, Asa don't really call me. So when Asa calls you, you pick up the phone because it's about some money or about something really interesting. Like you need to know. So. Asai called me, I picked up the phone, and um, yeah, he was like, Jermaine, I know you've always wanted to do a store, this and a third. And I was like, overheads, blah, blah, blah. Yo, we're not going to do a store. We're going to call it No Vacancy Inn. And he was like, boom, that's it. You know, that quick. 
it wasn't deep. It wasn't um, months and months of contemplating. And then, you know. But I think it's years and years of an idea behind it. Yeah, years and years of reverence behind it. And then, um, you know, a week later, we were lucky enough to have a um, young man by the name of Sam Ross that worked with me and A-Side to design a logo. And then we started off with uh, parties at Scotch with our friend Guillaume Berg from Bromance. And then we did another one party and then we started doing the radio broadcast and then we did a bunch of several interviews with amazing people in um, Japan. We went to Japan to do the 35th anniversary for Stussy. We did the first No Vacancy interviews with um, Bari, Sharaf, Stefan from Pigal, Alex Baby, Luli from, she's a legend, Ian Connor, bunch of people. And then it just kept rolling, you know, and a year later, it's just, it's nuts. So, No Vacancy is a culmination of me and A-Side and this bunch of people that have watched us for five years and saw us finally focus everything to us. And then it's been a domino effect since then, you know. It's like an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once we put a label on it, everyone's been feeding us things to do. You know, Virgil, with the thing we did in Palm Springs with Calvin Klein. Tom Sachs at his bodega on Center Street. And then again, he enlisted us to do, which was a dream, to do a party at the Brooklyn Museum that my mom used to take me to. And there's more stuff coming that people are going to see. Dover Street Market. The first time I heard about Dover Street Market was Lupe Fiasco lyrics. You know what I mean? Paris, Tokyo. Yeah. Like, no, for real. For real. That's the first time I heard about Dover Street Market. And now I'm selling T-shirts in there. It's a dream. So um, that's what No, no Vacancy is a dream. Um, there are a lot of points there. I think the first thing that I kind of want to touch on is, obviously, Asa, you used to work for Nike in energy marketing, or Nike in energy marketing, and that's a very, very corporate place to have come from, to kind of now be where you are and doing what you're doing, but, but it sounds as if it really does inform the kind of foundation of, of what you've created. Do you feel like kind of moving into this very kind of, as we were just saying, creative ecosystem that you're escaping that corporate side of things or are you harnessing something new and moving forward with it? What's the kind of, what's the dynamic? Um, I think to answer that question, to really answer it, I remember when I was 15, 16, and I used to go to what was, it's non-existent now, but it's called a Moax office, which James Lavelle, who was like an early pioneer of a lot of what people now consider cool in London and England. Yeah. He was the first guy I ever saw who wore like, rare sneakers and had Star Wars figures. And, you know, this is before the internet. I'm talking yeah. literally, this is like the mid, late 90s, right? So when I saw that, and I used to go there every day after college, I would literally just go there, you know, hang out with these people. There were DJs and DJ Shadow was there and, a, you know, Futuro was a graffiti right from New York, was hanging out and making record sleeves. And, and I saw that, it seemed like the coolest place in the world, but they were still getting stuff done. Like they were putting records out, you know, and they were having parties and they were really super organized but they were also having a great time. And they had a studio, and I just thought, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. And through that place is actually where I met a guy called Fraser Cook, who was one of the first guys in England, from what I know, to sort of bring sneakers back from America. You know, this is all like kind of like mythical now. It's like, huh, people did that? <laughs> like, <laughs> go online, do you know what I mean? You can buy it. <laughs> but you know, like, there was a time where you couldn't get stuff that was abroad. You couldn't get stuff from Japan or America. So. He was doing that and he worked at Moax and I met him and years later, when I was sort of trying to make my way in the world and be a music producer, he called me one day and he's like, I need someone to work for me at Nike. I've been hired and that person's job is just to be them, but to be connected. And he sort of explained it roughly and it took a while. But when I went to that job, 
The one thing that struck me was that they didn't want me to be corporate. They wanted me to be me. Right. So I, what, you know, so I learned a lot from them because I dropped out of university in my second year. You know, I just, I didn't last the whole time. So for me, going to Nike was actually like going to school. Yeah. And that's actually something I, I learned was really important. Like, if you don't want to go to school, don't go to school, but find a job that suits your interests as fast as possible. Because mm -hmm. you need to be, you need to be an assistant. You need to learn from someone. And so when I was at Nike, it was like I was getting paid to go to school. Because all the things I didn't know about how to structure things, about how to get things done and deadlines and, you know, putting a plan together and organizing, I learned it all from Nike and I spent their money doing it. And they know that, but they benefited from it. <laughs> no, it, was, it was mutually beneficial because, because they had loads of money and it wasn't a recession. So they didn't mind, you know, like we opened 1948 as a store that wasn't a store because... They have Nike Town. They don't need another store to sell stuff. They need a, a place to have stuff that you can buy, but also you can hang out in and interact with the brand. So all of these learnings for me, I never ever thought for a minute, I was like, oh, I'm doing a corporate job. And at that time, Nike were really, I personally think, and this is before Apple really kicked in with their sort of, you know, their, their marketing and their products. Nike were probably at the level, the number one, preeminent, cultural, relevant brand in the world at that level. Yeah. Because they touched everything from actual sports to lifestyle, to product, to manufacturing, to design, mm. to music. You know, at that point, that's when I met Kanye because he was working with Nike at that point. So it's changed now. Lots of brands are doing exactly the same thing. But at that exact point, Nike were like really the, the one brand that sort of invented that sort of way of communicating. And so I was very lucky to be there. So it was never like a corporate job. I was like, I get to go there every day. So when I dropped out of school, started working retail. First retail job was like J. Crew sales. Then I was just like, oh, I want to go up the sales floor. So I started doing stock. Did stock at Bergdorf Goodman, Kate Spade. And then I ran into my ex and she um, obviously had a thing for me. So she was just like, yo, you want to work at Mark Jacobs? I was like, yeah, I do. And then she got me an interview and then had an interview with like the store manager, the HR, and then I had an interview. This is the gnarliest, weirdest thing. I had an interview with the president of the company because that's how deep Robert Duffy was. At that time, he interviewed everyone. So I come into Mark Jacobs and like, he like looks at my resume and he goes, my first job was at Bird of Goodman. You're hired. <laughs> and threw my resume in the air. He said, we're going to work you hard, but you'll be rewarded for it if you can make it. And that brother never lied. And no, no, for real, Mark, Robert Duffy, I've texted him. I need to go pull up on him because A-Side knows. A-Side hung out with me and Robert. You know, he moved me to London. I can't, from the lofty materialistic things that don't mean anything, like dinners at the Four Seasons where he's like, bring a friend. Or like, you know, parties at the um, Rainbow Room where they fly in all the employees from the country and shut down the floors. He showed, Robert reaffirmed what my parents taught me, that everyone's important. Robert treated the stock guy the same way he treated Mark. And um, I remember one time at Mark Jacobs, the main thing I learned from them, we had a um, going away party at Indochine, legendary restaurant, and um, I was sitting at Mark's table. Robert's like, yeah, Tremaine, come sit here. And then someone says, oh, Tremaine, you're sitting at the VIP table. And Mark said, ain't no VIP tables at Mark Jacob parties. And that's something I carry into everything we do, you know what I mean? So basically, um, yeah, my career at Mark Jacobs, I worked in like the West Village women's store, men's store for about three years. And then they moved me to London. 
assistant manager of the um, collection store. But that was never enough for me. And then um, I, remember, I won't forget my friend Ferris Bueller was like, yo, make sure when you go to London, yeah, his name's Ferris Bueller. That's his nickname. That's his nickname. It's not his real name. That's not his real I swear to God, I'm not trying to make this story cool. This is the real story. I promise. And then um, Ferris, was, Ferris was like, yo, Tremaine, make sure you don't go to London and just work at Mark Jacobs. You better do something. You better turn up. So, um, yeah, I just started working at Mark, met him, and just started doing the parties. And then it grew into consulting and all kinds of stuff. Another big part of it was um, Serge Becker is very instrumental in No Vacancy Inn because he's the first one that really gave me my first consulting gig as social director for La Bonega Negra and Casa Negra and then asked me to like, you know, and this is why I rock with A-Side. People are like, why don't you ever book me? You know, I'll tell you why. Because I asked a bunch of DJs in London and they'll go unnamed. I said, I need a playlist for Serge Becker. You know, the guy that did Miss Lily's La Esquina in New York. Only one person gave me a playlist. That was Tremaine. I remember Serge turned it off after the first song. What song was it? Some kind of amazing song. And Serge, I played the first song. And Serge said, yeah, we're booking this guy. And then um, the rest is history. And then um, as far as Robert and Mark, the, how my tenure there ended, maybe like six months before um, my tenure ended at Mark Jacobs, I remember we're at this dinner at Scott's. And it was Robert Duffy's last time in London. And he was about to like sell his shares in Mark Jacobs. He's like, I'm sitting next to him. He goes, Tremaine, I heard you got like 14 jobs. Because I was doing like creative consultancy for Frank Ocean. I was doing creative consultancy for Stussy. Social director for like La Bodega, working with Scotch, all this stuff. And the whole table got quiet. Like I was in trouble. And then Robert just gave me the dap. Like when I was your age, I had 14 jobs too. So just let me know I was on the right path. And um, six months later, you know, September 28th, this time last year, I had my last day at Mark Jacobs. And somehow, maybe it's my mom, I don't know. My life's gone stratospheric, so it's crazy. It's very natural, I think, for guys of a similar age, a similar background to sort of, especially when you're traveling the world or sort of working your way up, to sort of band together, because mm. it's just comfortable. And one of the things I'm actually trying to break out of is that comfort zone, which is to find more people who aren't like that. Yeah. Even when we do our podcast, for instance, I'm always like, we just end up interviewing guys. And we don't do it consciously, but we're also not doing it. I listen to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we're also not doing it subconsciously. It's one of those things that's like, you have to try to do more than what you already know. Mm. So when you talk about that gang, yeah, of course, it's great that, you know, Virgil and ASAP Rocky and Bari and, you know, all these people who are doing really great individually are friends of ours. And when we hang out, when we meet up, we sort of share a bond and we could talk about our experiences and help each other out. Mm. But I think the next level to that right now is where we can go beyond that and who can we bring in that's outside of that circle. It's another thing I read that you said, it's kind of, you enjoy curating culture. And it's almost as if you're kind of the new magazine editor. You're kind of bringing these new things together, these new ideas together, these new people together in a kind of digital space. And I'm interested to know, is that kind of the way, as a print person myself, is that kind of the way you see it? Is, is that you, do you see yourself as this kind of curator of things, or is it one and the same? Like, how does it? Sorry, real quick. I, I, you know what? I, I think to simplify it, let's just think about like a really good party that you've been to in your life. If you've been to a really good, there are only two types of parties that really work. The ones where you literally know everyone, so everyone's comfortable and no one's got any inhibitions and you're just catching up with friends, mm -hmm. 
or the ones where you know hardly anyone and it's just everyone from like, there's that scene in Ferris Bueller to bring up the film where, where they, they say, why are you so popular in school? And, 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 and the, um, I think she's like the secretary or something. She turns around and she's like, well, it's because he's friends with the geeks, the weirdos, the freaks. And she does this list, the jocks. Da, 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 da. Yeah. He's not friends with any particular type of person. Everyone seems to like Ferris Bueller because yeah. he's just that guy. And I think in a way, when I think of parties, that's what I try and do. When I think of events, that's what I try and do. When we think of No Vacancy Inn, in a way, that's all I'm ever trying to do is just like, I was that guy at school. We were talking about this with Rocky, right? ASAP Rocky, where we said, we were the guys at school that were always fine at any lunch table. You know, it was, uh, there's a certain type of person yeah, yeah, yeah. that managed to get away with being on any sort of lunch table. Maybe for five seconds, but you were still... Do you know what I mean? Like, the football lads would be like, you're doing it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I'd be like, oh, yeah, nice to see you, and move on. Yeah. But the thing is, is that other sorts of people at school, they were only finding one sort of lunch table. You know, we're like multiple lunch table people. That's a very good analogy. I like that analogy a lot. Yeah, um, it's very good. I guess a natural progression, if you're doing your mixtapes and you're doing your, all these different things, would you create a collection, your own line? Or is that something that doesn't interest? <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, it's funny, because like, when we first started doing this like clothing stuff, with no vacancy, ASI was always, ASI's always like the, me and him have never had an argument, ever, six years. We get close. <laughs> raise the edge close. Raise, raise the edge close. But, um, and he was really like, you know, we got to do this, that, and the third. And I said, no, let's just keep it merch, T-shirts, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, cool. And I actually wrote like a critical discourse of why I felt in the email. And then he's like, cool, I hear you. And we did the first release was just T-shirts and, you know, one long sleeve and a couple of T-shirts. And then... Life just propels you to where you need to go. So I started doing these Instagrams off a of conversation and jokes me and him had called Art Dad. Funny. Yeah, and then like the Instagrams turned into group chats and the group chats turned into dazed articles. And then dazed articles turned into like a good friend of ours, Virgil, who has the means in Italy to um, create clothing through his situation with Newgard. And now we're working on like art that collection that um life willing, you know, January Paris will be walking it. A capsule capsule collection off white. Uh, menswear. Yeah, menswear. Oh, we'll be walking it down, you know, and um Yeah, so <laughs> it's crazy. So I was the one against ready wear, but then my Instagram spurned the ready to wear happening. So yeah, it's about to become more than T shirts and stuff like that. Okay. It's an organic growth. At the moment mid-Brexit, London's feeling a little bit miserable, a little bit flat, um, a little bit like everyone wants to move. New York, I kind of am getting the same impression in a different way. Where for you is the kind of, the, the place to be at the moment? Where is the energy? Where is it happening? Where do you enjoy being? What are the kind of hot spots? London's still great. I just feel spoiled because I, I literally, you know, last two months I've been in Tokyo, New York, L.A., Milan, so I can't, everywhere, man. Wherever there's good people, that's the hot spot. Wherever there's good people with heart and got love in their heart and love people and love what they do, 
And I've seen that in Milan, I've seen that in Tokyo, I've seen that in London, I've seen that in New York. You know, um, that's where it's at for me. People who got love in their heart and enjoy life and they don't waste the time because the time is the main thing, you know, like time is so precious, you know, like, you know, someone asked me, like, if I could have a billion dollars or five more years of my mom, I'd take five years of my mom. So time is so precious. So everywhere is the hot spot. Wherever people are enjoying their life and their time, you know, it could be in the most crime-ridden place. You know, like I went to Lagos last um, December. Me and my man Virgil got booked. I mean, same reason Skepta was booked out there. So Grace was out there. Shorty, whole BBK was out there. And um, Virgil's like a real quiet dude. But the next day, he's like, Tremaine, we got to go see what the hood's looking like. And then we went to this, like, shanty kind of market. And I seen a kid with no arm, fucked up flip-flops, broke his fuck. But he still had a smile on his face. To me, that's the hot spot. Because that's what gave me my inspiration to keep doing what I do. Because, shit, this kid don't got nothing. And he's smiling. So I have everything. I got to do more than smile. You know, so that's my whole thing. You know, like, you know, staying in a hotel where the, the backdrop was a shanty village. Literally people living outside. No running water. I'm staying in a hotel that I'm not paying for. I got flown out there. I'm getting paid G money to be out there. That's the hot spot. The hot spot's where I get flown to and get shown that how blessed my life is. That's the hot spot. Thanks to A-Side and Tremaine Emery in conversation for the Blend Sessions with Shivas Regal Scotch Whiskey. We'll be back next week for another evening with two more of our leading cultural collaborators, Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts to automatically receive each episode. You can find out more about Shivas Regal Whiskey at shivas.com. From me, Teo van den Bruke, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.